Hello, and welcome to Life Perspectives, the intergenerational podcast series from Cumberland Lodge. Episodes will be presented by Cumberland Lodge Fellows, past and present, and shared during 2022 to mark the 75th anniversary of the Cumberland Lodge charity. This episode explores the topic of queer ecology, the concept of applying queer theory to environmental issues. For this discussion, we bring together Cumberland Lodge Fellow Andy Marks and Professor Catriona Kate Sandilands. Andy is a PhD candidate at the Edinburgh School of Architecture and Landscape Architecture at the University of Edinburgh, and Kate is a writer, teacher, and professor of environmental studies at York University, whose research areas include environmental humanities and queer, trans, and feminist ecologies. I now hand you over to Andy and Kate. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Andy. So first of all, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation and for this episode of Life Perspectives. It's such an honor to have you here. Um, and you've been a huge influence over my research and my thinking. So it's it's such a, yeah, such a pleasure. I'm delighted and thank you very much for the invitation. So in this episode, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about queer ecology and how gender, sex and sexuality intersect with the environment, which are themes within your work and also themes within my um, burgeoning work, I guess. Um, but first of all, before we get on to that, uh, to get us started, we have some quick fire questions uh, that are a consistent theme with all, within all of the episodes of Life Perspectives to learn a little bit more about you and uh, potentially things that people may not already know. So the first of these is, what were you doing at my age? And I'm 28 years old. When I was 28, I was finishing my, my doctoral degree in sociology, in fact, uh, at York University. Oh, I had no idea you were a sociologist originally. I, I consider myself a recovering sociologist. My, my work has consistently leaned um, toward social, toward social theory, cultural studies, um, and now I, I I actually consider myself to be a passable literary critic. So, mm, of course. So the second question is, who would you have wanted to interview at my age if you had had the opportunity? One one of the the key interlocutors for my thinking in my dissertation was Hannah Arendt. Um, so I'm I'm pretty sure that even though I would have been been terrified to interview her because I understand that she uh, did not take fools lightly, um, I would have I, I think I would have said at 28 that I would have liked to have interviewed Hannah Arendt. Uh, now, many years later, um, I, I, I think I'd slightly revise that proposition. I would like to have a dinner party. Uh, that would consist of Hannah Arendt, uh, Jane Rule, and Audre Lorde, and I would make them a lovely dinner and pour them some excellent wine and then sit back and listen. Oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. No, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for, for that dinner party. So the third question is, what is something that most people don't know about you? Um, most people listening to this podcast might not know that I am a trained soprano. Oh, Wow. I, I, yeah, gosh, do you do you perform quite a lot? Is this is this something you do on the side? I, I prefer choral. I prefer choral singing. Um, I actually really like the the, the collective experience of, of singing, um, and I, I have done you know I have done solos and recitals, but I, I I always revert back to to choirs. Oh well, thank you very much for sharing that. So in the introduction, we heard a little bit that you are well known for your research, particularly in the field of queer ecology. And as I mentioned, this has been a 
big influence uh, within my own PhD research. And so I'm really excited to be able to chat a little bit more about this topic with you. But first of all, would you be able to briefly describe what queer ecology is for our listeners? What have queer theories got to do with the environment? That's, that's a question that I get asked often. It's important to understand that the environment or ecology is as much a question of social relationships and political relationships and economic relationships as it is um, about the unfoldings of plants and, and animals and fungi and, and microbes. So um, ecology is social. Understood in that light, social relations that affect ecological relations include gender, include obviously race, uh, include colonization, and they also include um, questions around sexual orientation, sexual practice, and sexual uh, sexual community and culture. Uh, so queer, queer ecology, uh, in a nutshell, is the, uh, the, the scholarly, artistic, political practice of of taking queer theory to environmental issues. So using some of the, the tools of queer theory, the political and social experiences of LGBTQ plus communities as a way of reflecting on how nature and environment are understood, institutionalized and organized, mostly in the, the 20th and 21st centuries. That's really really fascinating just to hear you articulate it yourself and and yeah really comprehensive and it's, it's extraordinary just to you know, bring obviously so many of the inter these intersections um into the fold and i think you know for many people who are becoming probably quite environmentally conscious i think it's really helpful that these intersections are are yeah really raise the fore having read your work in, and others in this field i um you know, whenever I hear people say we need to protect nature, it always makes me think, you know, what nature? Whose nature? Yeah. Um, because it sometimes, yeah, hides so much. So how did you become interested in gender and sexuality studies and the environment? Have you always been interested in these topics? The, uh, the shift to uh, thinking about gender and sexuality uh, and, and indeed to, to thinking about ecology as potentially queer came in 1994. I was just completing my doctoral dissertation and I was asked by a graduate student in what was then the Faculty of Environmental Studies at York University, uh, a woman named Shauna O'Donnell, um, who was uh, co-editing a special issue of an undergraduate, uh, sorry, of a graduate student journal called Undercurrents, uh, which is still being, which is actually still being published at York University and is available online. But in, in 1994, Shauna and her, uh, her co-editor, uh, Michael Brazalier, decided that they wanted to have a, a special issue of, they wanted the issue to be called Queer Nature. And knowing my interest in, in uh, ecofeminism, Shauna said, Kate, would you write something for this? I'm sure that you can, you can think of something to say. And at the time, I was, I, was, I was very puzzled. It took, as I imagine, other people aren't quite sure how to put queer and, queer, queer and nature together. Uh, when Shauna asked me in 1994, I wasn't all that sure either. So I, I thought about it and I thought about it and I ended up putting together, ra rather than a, a, a well-argued essay, I ended up putting together a collage of different possible of different possible ways in which we could think queer and nature in the same sentence. 
so th thinking about uh, you know what a gay environmental slogan might look like. Uh, my my particular favorite that I will always remember is a button that might say "Mother Nature is a Butch." <laughs> um, and um, I, I still I want that button actually. And also thinking thinking about uh, you know well, what would it what would it mean to to look at the non-human world rather than through a heteronormative lens, but through a, through a queer lens. Like what would it mean to actually look for queerness in the more than human world? So that little that little collage was I, I, I've now realized is possibly the most life changing thing I've ever written. Uh, because that, uh, that that little collage ended up becoming uh, an essay that was published in uh, a journal called Invisible Culture in the mid 2000s. So so many years later, I ruminate obviously ruminated on this for quite a long time. Uh, so that is a very long winded answer uh, to the uh, to the question. And the the the, the short version is. Uh, I became interested in gender, sexuality, and environment because somebody asked me to. <laughs> that's that's fascinating and and not what I was expecting at all. And it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about undercurrents, which are, which now, when reading about queer ecology literature, is obviously such an important episode in its evolution as a field. And this, this quite nicely leads us on to my next question, actually, which you've mentioned undercurrents, but whether any other formative moments that changed the direction of your research career? I, uh, I, I suppose another one of those marvelous, those, those marvelous accidents is um, in, in 2000, uh, I was in, um, I was, uh, I had a Rockefeller fellowship at the university of Oregon. And I, you know, my proposal was to, was to work on queer ecologies. I, I was living, I was living in Eugene and I was, you know, sort of busily figuring out possibilities for, um, you know, intellectual community and connection. And and two things happened. And the first is that I sat in on a, um, I sat in on a graduate environmental literature course. I had no idea that such that such a thing existed as environmental literature. And it turns out the University of Oregon was was one of the uh, the birthplaces of of eco criticism. So I ended up taking this this graduate seminar and being introduced to the idea that there was such a thing as environmental literature, and I had an absolutely I had an absolutely marvelous time. So that was my that was my introduction to my, my was my introduction to eco criticism, which had a huge impact on my on my um, on my career, and it was also my introduction to the possibility of a queer eco criticism. And uh, that was uh, that was you know that 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 really did change the course of my of my work. I think that was possibly the moment that I did finally give up sociology in favor of uh, in, in in favor of falling in love with the, the possibilities of of literature and creative writing. The other thing that happened was I met uh, I, I had uh, a meeting with uh, one of the uh, one of the so actually sociology faculty uh, at the University of Oregon, a woman named Arlene Stein. And when I was when I was describing to her um, the you know queer ecologies and what it was I was doing, she said, "Oh, are you here to work with the lesbian separatists?" And I said, I beg your pardon, or something equally inarticulate, because I had no idea what she was talking about. And she proceeded to tell me that the University of Oregon Library Archives had just 
uh, had fairly recently received all of the collected papers from the lesbian separatist land communities um, that were that were that 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 were actually quite um, there were quite a number of these these intentional communities in the southern part of Oregon. Uh, so this was like Christmas. Uh, I was uh, so I, I was I was I was able to access all of these marvelous papers from the 1970s and 80s. Uh, and I was also uh, through Arlene and through um, through the librarian um, who had persuaded these these very reticent lesbian separatists to give their uh, to give their papers to the to the to the patriarchal state. I was able to I, I was introduced to some of these women and I was able to interview them. So um, I really felt that these 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 wonderful women uh, helped me develop an understanding of what it was to uh, not just to think about queer ecology or in this case, lesbian ecology, but to practice it. Mm, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. And yeah, to have that connection with those archives must have been just such a, a valuable experience. And again, it's interesting having uh, read some of your work around lesbian separatism to, to actually you know, hear about that, that reticence. Um, because I think, yeah, these some some of the things that actually are are lost in academia are the kind of the feelings and and, and that, those tensions, and it's yeah, it's really fascinating. Thank you for that. So the field queer ecology has gained significant men- momentum over the past few years um, within what well, you mentioned earlier, artistic circles and academic circles, and also uh, increasingly activist circles. Do you have any thoughts as to why this is the case? I have, I have, I have, sev- I have several thoughts. There are. I, I've been, first, of all, first of all, I've been absolutely delighted to see um, the um, proliferation of. Uh, like, if you Google queer ecology, you used to. Um, there, there. You know, you used to hit my book, and now there's there's a proliferation of of, of different people who are experimenting. As I, as I suggested earlier, with the, the plurality of possibilities that queer ecology gives rise to. There are, there are as you say, there are artists, there are activists, there, there, there are many academics. And the field has, the, the field has, has, I think, diversified quite magnificently in, in directions that I would never, uh, that, I, that I wouldn't have imagined. Uh, and that makes me extraordinarily happy. Um, why, the question of why I think is a very is is, is an interesting one. Um, I think there, uh, there I think there has been a rise in environmental. I, I think there has been a general uh, rise in environmental consciousness, particularly among younger generations. And for 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 many people, it's really important to understand environmental issues through lenses that are personally relevant and important. So I think the, um, the, the rise in, 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 in visibility and power of, of queer people has, uh, ha- has, has given rise to um, uh, the, the desire to understand the world through the, the world in a, in a larger sense through a queer framework. So given the importance of environmental issues, it's perhaps not surprising that more and more, um, more and more people who identify as queer, trans and, and non-binary 
might want to embrace understandings of the natural world and understandings of ecological politics that speak to their identities, their ideas of intimacy, their ideas of, uh, uh, of, envi- of an environmental future. So I think it is, it is partly a question of um, the, pluralization, uh, the pluralization of ecology and the embrace of the, the embrace of environmental issues by a larger diversity of, of queer people. Um, so, you know, if we, if, we actually, if we actually think about nature as queer, what does that do to ecology? Um, and I think, you know, artists and activists are actually, uh, are actually thinking about that in, in, in really interesting ways. Like if we take seriously the idea that nature is queer, as you said earlier, what is the nature that we are protecting and, and how are we, you know, how are we best going to do that? The, the, final, the final thing that I would say is that I think that environmental activism, particularly perhaps climate activism, has learned some really important lessons from earlier social movements. And I would say particularly from AIDS activism. The, the topic of environmental grief, I think very usefully, or, or pe- people who, who write and think about environmental grief or who, who, are, who are themselves dealing with overwhelming environmental grief, I think very usefully look at uh, AIDS activism um, for an example of a social movement that was absolutely shot through with grief, uh, you know, sort of huge, ex- extraordinary loss of, of life and, and, and creativity, um, and yet managed to do fabulous uh, things politically to, to get things changed. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm perhaps not for every individual is that thread utterly intentional, but I look at something like Extinction Rebellion uh, and the, the modes of performance that are going on there. And I, I think it's a really sort of, sort of a, uh, an interesting blend between um, you know, sort of nonviolent direct action tactics and, you know, sort of and histories of, of spectacular environmental activism through groups like Greenpeace. But I think that there's, there's also a real sense of uh, the, 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 the theater and the, uh, the, 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 the need for, for, for performative environmental actions that affect people on an emotional level and, and, and don't just talk about, uh, in, you know, sort of in serious ways about, uh, about things like policy change. So I think that there are so the the ground the ground is very ripe for queer ecology um, for for a variety of reasons. I think there have been changes to um, the particular the, the particular over, the, the the particular emotional the, af, the act, affective universe of of climate activism the, uh, the the quest for a queer politics that goes beyond homonormativity. And 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 also um, the, um, the the extraordinary creativity of uh, of queer artists who are are interested in in environmental issues. Thank you so much. For that it's so interesting to hear your thoughts, and I've been really excited, particularly for that question. Um, it's it's funny you mentioned previously a few years ago. Uh, where people will Google ecology, queer ecology and find your book. And that's exactly what I did. I remember in my master's, I was increasingly feeling that my uh, understanding of my sexuality and queerness had something to do with my interest in, in the environment. And 
Googled those two words, found your book, and yeah, who'd have thought at that point that I'd be here speaking with you now? Um, and it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for for having this conversation and for for joining us for this podcast. Well, thank you very much for the invitation, uh, and I also very much enjoyed thinking with these questions. They've been um, they've been lovely to sit with and think about for the for uh, since you gave them to me. If you'd like to keep up to date with Life Perspectives, you can follow us on major podcasting platforms. Just search for Cumberland Lodge. You can also keep up to date with all the work of Cumberland Lodge on Twitter, Facebook, and on the Read, Watch, Listen page of cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. Thank you once again to Andy and Kate for joining us, and thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>